Maybe we'll do that one night. We'll see. All right. This is better. This is, uh, yeah, this will work. One of my favorite writers is Thomas Watson, the great old uh, Puritan writer. And Thomas Watson wrote these words. He said, the two testaments are the two lips by which God has spoken to us. In your Bible, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament because we're looking at the lives of the dead kings. So I'd like you to turn with me tonight to a guy that has a really uh, unusual name and a guy that has a really unusual story. We're going to look at the king Jehoshaphat. Uh, Jehoshaphat was a, was, a, was a guy that was listed among the eight kings out of the 40 kings. Now, this is kind of wild. You had Saul, you had David, you had Solomon, and then after Solomon, you got 40 kings in the divided kingdom. In, in the north, you had roughly 20. In the south, you got roughly 20. Out of the 40, you've got eight of those guys that are called good. Jehoshaphat is one of the good guys. He's one of the eight who, who was named as a guy that, um, um, who, who, whose life exemplified and followed uh, David's example. Now we're going to see that in just a little bit. Um, when I was a kid, I used to hear a phrase, and my dad would say it every once in a while, and the phrase was, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Anybody remember that? Where did that come from? I'd like to know the context. I'd like to know the history of that particular, um, of that particular colloquialism. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Uh, I, I don't know why someone would refer to him as someone who jumped. At least I didn't when I was young. But as I've been studying this guy's life, what I want you to know is um, Jehoshaphat was a guy who jumped periodically. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Now, there are, there are accounts of his life in Kings and then again in Chronicles. Uh, there's a lot to be said about this guy. There's a tremendous amount of material. Uh, some of the kings, uh, the, the bio on these guys is shorter. This guy gets a lot of space. This guy gets a lot of room. And uh, his life is, is worth looking at in depth and in detail because I, I, I think he's a guy that, uh, as you get to know him, you're going to see, you know, this guy dealt with some issues that are a lot like the issues I'm dealing with. Now, we want to take a step back. We want to look at the big picture of this guy. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. And then we want to notice verse 43. Because there is a statement that is made about Jehoshaphat that gives uh, kind of the wide-angle lens of this, guy's, um, of this guy's life. And as I'm looking here at 2 Kings 22, that doesn't help me at all because the passage is 1 Kings 22. And if you notice verse 43, actually 42 picks it up. It says, Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. Look at verse 43. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. Last week, we looked at his dad, Asa. Uh, he walked in the ways of his father, Asa. His father, Asa, was one of the good kings. Although as he got older, he seemed to get a little bit embittered towards the Lord, and a little bit defensive. 
uh, we, we saw this guy's life. He had a great start. He had a great halftime. He had a great third quarter. Started to lose it about halfway through the third quarter into the fourth. But he was a man who had a heart for God. He did some great things for the nation. Um, verse 43, his son Jehoshaphat walked in the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it. Now catch this, doing right in the sight of the Lord. That's a great statement about this guy's life. But I also want you to note, if you would, verse 44. It says, Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now that's significant, and we're going to come back to it. Now flip over to 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles 17, we're going to get this perspective on Jehoshaphat as we do this, uh, uh, th this bio of, of this guy. Uh, you guys ever watch A&E, you'll watch biography on A&E. And they just keep coming up with biographies. It's amazing. Uh, and, and, and I love watching that stuff because everybody has a story. Everybody's life is fascinating. Uh, everybody, um, uh, you can learn something from biographies. I don't care who it is. I don't care if, if, it, if it's Richard Nixon. I don't care if it's uh, Thomas Edison, if it's Henry Ford if it's Gandhi, if whoever it is, there's something to be learned from a man's life. It, it, that, that's always true. It's doubly true when it's in the scriptures. And God has put their lives in here because these things are written for our instruction. Now, what does it say about this guy, Jehoshaphat? Well, we already found out he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Look at 2 Chronicles 17. We pick it up here in verse 1. Um, and, and, and as we do, I want to ask this question. We said that he was considered to be one of the good kings. Why was he considered to be one of the eight good kings out of the 40 kings? Well, the answer was what we just read. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. When, when we do what's right in the sight of the Lord, that's good. We live in a culture that says there is no good or bad. Uh, we live in a culture that, that says there is no absolute truth. We live in a culture that says there is no right or wrong. That's what uh, exemplifies our culture. Uh, you'll hear the, hear the term sometimes uh, postmodern. What does that term mean? It means we live in a time where moral absolutes are out the window. Uh, everything is relative. And this goes back in our history to the 60s. Uh, it, it goes back to the free speech movement. That was at the University of California at Berserkly. Some of you guys remember that? And a guy named Mario Savio. And I'm reading, a, I'm reading a biography on Ronald Reagan right now. And the biography just goes, it just deals with Reagan when he was governor of California and how he got to be governor of California. And the fact that he was an actor, that basically people said, this guy can't be governor because there was a guy who was in power named uh, uh, Pat Brown. His son, Jerry Brown, became governor. He's known as Governor Moonbeam in California, and now he's the mayor of Oakland. But his father was a, uh, was a staunch Democrat and, you know, ran things and, you know, had it all wired. And I remember as a kid when Reagan ran for governor, and I remember the ads they ran about him and how they'd mock him. And they always showed clips from this movie he made called Bedtime for Bonzo, where the, he was in this movie with the chimp, and the chimp always came out better than he did. And they, they would always talk about this guy. He's just an actor. He's just an actor. 
He's just an actor. Well, he turned out to be a lot more than an actor. Uh, as Pat Brown found out, because uh, uh, he beat Pat Brown significantly. Uh, and now here we are last night with another actor uh, stepping up. You know, you know, what was it Hegel said? History teaches us that men never learn from history. There's a reason to read history, because things, everything that goes around comes around. Now, as we look at this guy, uh, Jehoshaphat, he was, uh, he was a good king. Why was he a good king? Because he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, that's why he was a good king. 17.1, Jehoshaphat, his son, then became king in his place, in Asa's place, and made his position over Israel firm. Note that. We'll come back to that. Israel's been mentioned twice now. It was mentioned in the previous context that we just read. Uh, look at verse 2. He placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had captured. Now, this is no big deal to us because we're living here in America, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. This is a real big deal to them because they were fortifying their defenses. We've got a thing called homeland security right now. We, we've got guys out right now. We've we got CIA. We've got FBI. We, got a, we, we have government agencies with initials we don't even know about. Uh, you know about Delta Force, don't you? Delta Force isn't even supposed to exist, but it exists. They're doing stuff we don't know a thing about. And you ought to be real glad they're doing those things because they're infiltrating and they're protecting us. That's what, and, and we're concerned because we got hit and we got attacked and we know these guys are still out there and we know some of them are probably in DFW and we know some of them are in, we got cell groups, we got sleeper groups. We're concerned about that. Well, they were concerned about their security. So he fortifies the cities and he places troops. Uh, and we've talked about several kings who did that. Some of them did it with the right heart. Some of them did it with the wrong heart because... You see, it's possible to do the right thing, yet not trust in God. This guy did the right thing and was trusting in God. Then notice, if you would, verse 3. This is a significant verse about Jehoshaphat. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because. Now, when I see that, I want to stop and ask the question. The Lord was with. You know what? I want the Lord with me. Don't you want the Lord with you? I want the Lord with me when I get up in the morning. And when I start my day, I want the Lord with me in my marriage uh, as I'm a husband. I want the Lord with me in my relationship with my children. I want the Lord with me in my business dealings. I want the Lord with me in my church. Uh, I want the Lord with me, period. I want him with me. Uh, I want his presence in my life. I want his favor in, in, in my life. I want his approval in my life. And... Uh, and so do you. Uh, you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't want that in your life. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days. That's why the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Uh, David was the model. But know what it says here. He followed the model of David's earlier days. What does that mean? Well, there was a time in David's life, and you know what the event was, where David was having success after success after success after success. 
He was never defeated in battle. He was unifying the kingdom. God's favor was with him. God was with him. Why? Because David was doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. And then he was on the roof one night, and he saw Bathsheba. And everything changed from there. Uh, see, when it's talking about the earlier days, it's talking about the pre-Bathsheba days is what it's talking about. This guy followed the example of, of, of David's earlier days, and the Lord was with him. Why? Because he followed that example. Because he did what was right. Uh, and then what happens here, the, the text is going to give us some reasons. In fact, it's going to give us eight reasons that the Lord was with him. And they all have to do with the fact that he did what was right. Now, I want to tell you something. Um, I'm not uh, exceptionally bright. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of average. But I want to tell you something. Uh, when I study these kings, I'm starting to pick up a pattern. Uh, and the pattern I'm starting to pick up is that when these kings do what is right, and when these kings obey the Lord, they experience God's blessing and God's favor. Here's the other thing I'm picking up. When they're disobedient and they're hard-nosed and they're stubborn and they resist the Spirit of God, you know what? Things aren't so favorable in their life. And they begin to experience uh, discipline and they begin to experience setbacks and hardships. And it has to do with their heart and their um, quotient of surrender to the Lord. You know that uh, some of you guys have a church background, and you remember this, uh, this chorus, this hymn, I Surrender Most. Remember that hymn? Let's stand and sing that together. Let's sing the first and fourth verse. Uh, I surrender most. That's not how it goes. It's I surrender what? All. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my precious Savior. I surrender all. You see? And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for us just to flat out surrender. And what we tend to do, you know, because we're, we're on this journey of life, what we tend to do at various points in our lives is that um, we, we hold on to things. And we kind of want to keep them close to our vest. And we kind of want to keep calling the shots. And we don't want to give up control. Because, see, a lot of us in here are control freaks. We just like being in control. We like being in charge. If you, were to took, if you were to take a personality test, how many of you guys have ever taken a personality test and failed? <laughs> that happened to me. They said, you have no personality. It was, it was a significant blow to me. But anyway, you keep moving on. Uh, you take a personality test, or there's one called Performax, and they have these different letters, uh, D, uh, I. The D is dominant. The I is influential. Uh, or you can do the animal thing with that. Uh, I, I like that because, you know, if you're a D, you're a lion. The lion's in charge. A lion's got a big roar. Uh, a lion can be intimidating. That's the dominant guy. Then you got the I. The I is the influencer. You know what an I is? Uh, what's, what's the, the I is the, uh, uh, the otter. Uh, you ever seen otters in the water? Uh, there's a great aquarium in Monterey, California that, uh, you know, Hewlett Packard, I think it was, which was one of those guys whose daughter was an oceanographer, and he built this 
unbelievable aquarium right there in Monterey Bay. If you're ever in that area, you go see this thing. It's incredible. Uh, it's phenomenal. But right out there in the bay, they got these otters. And these otters are a riot. I mean, those otters ought to be salesmen. Because they're just, those, you know what those otters do? They're out in that water, and they're just out there swimming backwards. And they're clapping, and they're grooving, you know, and they're with other otters. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. I mean, they're doing tricks. They're just, they like people, you know? They're influencers. Uh, that's what they are. They're, they're, they're uh, people. They're otter people. They're, you know what I'm talking about. They're good with people, you see? That's how some of you guys are wired. Uh, then you've got your S, and the S is the steady. Uh, they, they equate that with like a... Uh, now, that's the other one, the golden retriever. You know, we got a golden retriever. Loyal, uh, steadfast, there, uh, highly relational, you know, all, you can count on her. She's always there. Get out of the car, she's there. Get up in the morning, she's there. Uh, problem, you know, not much of a watchdog. Someone breaks in, she'll hand them the keys, you know. There's the silver over there. I mean, you know, she'll just show them around. But real loyal. Real loyal, real steady, real steady. Not, not real high, right, real, just steady, loyal, dependable. You see? Some of you, that's how you are. And then you got your, uh, your C uh, on that Performax thing, which would work out to a beaver. Now, what's a beaver? Detailed, analytical, a builder, goes about his business, doesn't get distracted, doesn't get deterred. He's going to get the job done, and it's going to go out and work, and he's working early and late, and... You know, he takes a 10-minute coffee break, and he's right back there. That's how some of you guys are. You're real analytical. See, we all have different kinds of personalities. Uh, God made us that way. Uh, you know, some of these kings, uh, some of these guys were Ds. Some of these guys were people kind of guys. Some of them were analytical. Uh, some of them would have been CPAs. Some of these guys, and see, they're, they're guys just like us, but they had a unique situation. They were placed into a unique situation. Uh, whatever your personality, uh, God's looking for you to surrender whatever's important to you to him. It might be a relationship. It might be a, a goal or a dream. It might be, I, I don't know what it is, but we all have things. And see, especially if you're a D, especially if you're a controlling guy, especially if you're a lion, you don't want to give up control. You know, it's really interesting. They'll do these personality things. And it, when a wife and a husband both take them. And when, and when two Ds get married, that gets really interesting. When two lions get married, uh, in all honesty, two Ds are okay as long as they respect each other. And, and when one D, when one lion thinks the other lion doesn't really know what they're talking about, they really start roaring. And then the other one starts roaring, and the issue becomes control, and it gets real interesting. My wife's real small. She's about five feet, and she weighs about 12 pounds. But I'm going to tell you something. She's a little lion, you know? You wouldn't know it just to see her, but she's a lion. Um, some of you are married to lions. Um, um, I was going to say something, but, but I'm not going to say it. Um, <clears throat> And see, that's what makes it so interesting. But everybody has a different issue, and everybody has something that they don't want to yield. 
But see, God's always calling me to give up what I don't want to give up. Why did this guy do what was right in the sight of the Lord? Because he had a heart for God, and he was willing to yield, and he was willing to surrender. I want to give you eight reasons he was a good king. Eight reasons that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Here's number one. Jehoshaphat was right in not seeking the Baals. You notice verse 3? It goes on and it says, uh, The Lord is with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals. Who were the Baals? They were the false gods. We'll get into this here a little bit later. They were the idols that were rampant in the northern kingdom, which was Israel. So he was right that he didn't seek the Baals because the king of the north was seeking the Baals. Here's the second reason. Jehoshaphat was right in serving the God of his fathers. Note verse 4. See, it says he sought the God of his father. We said last week that the word seek is a big word in Chronicles. What are you seeking? Who are you seeking? He sought the God of his father. He sought the true God, the one true God. Not some false God, not Baal. He sought God. That was the right thing to do. Here's the third thing. Uh, Jehoshaphat was right in following his commandments. That's also verse 4. You see that? It says it right there. He followed God's commandments. Uh, notice, if you would, uh, the fourth one. It says Jehoshaphat was right in not acting as Israel did. Here comes Israel again. See, Israel, the northern kingdom, is in big trouble right now. Uh, more on that in just a minute. Uh, here's the fifth way. Jehoshaphat was right in, note verse 6, it says, he took great pride in the ways of the Lord. Uh, literally, that would be his heart was high in the ways of the Lord. His heart was seeking what God wanted. That was a right thing that he did. Um, note, if you would, the sixth thing. Jehoshaphat was right in removing idols. That's also verse 6. Uh, he took great pride in the ways of the Lord and again removed the high places and the Asherim from Judah. Here's another one. Uh, note number seven. Uh, Jehoshaphat did what was right in establishing Bible conferences throughout the nation of Judah. That's verses seven through nine. It says, then in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, and these guys are all listed, uh, and look at verse nine. And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. He wanted the people to know the word of God. He wanted them to be versed in the truth. He wanted them to know God and what God said. He wanted them to live in right relationship with God because he wanted them to have the favor and blessing. He wanted them to know the covenant that God had established with his people. He wanted them to know why, should they, why they should come to the temple and why they should worship and why they should honor the different feasts and the, and the tabernacles and all that stuff. He wanted these people to be people of the book that was important to him. That was a right thing that he did. Let me give you another one that he did. This is number eight, and this is over in Kings. Uh, Jehoshaphat was right in expelling the religious sodomites out of the land. You weren't expecting that one, were you? Uh, turn over to 1 Kings 22, right back where we were. In 1 Kings chapter 22, verse uh, 46, It's uh, talking about Jehoshaphat there in verse 45. 
And it says, And the remnant of the Sodomites who remained in the days of his father Asa, he expelled from the land. Now go back to 1 Kings 15, 12. And we'll pick up on what it is that his, that his father did. Because his dad was listed as, as one of the good kings. You see 15, 12 there? And Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his father had made. Uh, this was a real interesting time spiritually in this nation because there was a lot of false religion. There were a lot of false God. There was a lot of counterfeit religion that was contrary to the true worship of the one true God. Now, let me tell you something about this. This stuff never goes away. It's always around. Uh, the Sodomites that he expelled from the nation were religious guys. Uh, I find that interesting, don't you? Because right now there's a group meeting in Dallas. There's a group of Episcopalians meeting in Dallas. Uh, uh, you probably know why they're meeting. They're meeting because the Episcopalian Church uh, of the United States recently uh, took a uh, guy by the name of Gene Robinson and made him Bishop of New Hampshire. He is a homosexual living in an open homosexual relationship. So what you've got, and see, here's what always happens. You've got people that love God, and then you've got people that love religion. You guys understand that? You know, Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with 20% of your heart. You know that passage? You shall love the Lord your God with most of your heart. No. Uh, I surrender most. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. See, you've always got people who love religion. You've always got your religious bureaucrats. Uh, and then you have the people that love God. Uh, in the Episcopalian Church, the people who love God are gathered down here in Dallas because they got a real issue. And the issue is they got religious sodomites in their denomination. And they're drawing a line, and they're saying, and maybe you've seen them on TV. I've seen some of these guys interviewed. Hey, you know what? We love Christ. We love the Word of God. We want to fulfill the Great Commission. So what are these guys doing down there? They're, drawing a line. they're doing exactly what this guy was doing back then. They're having to draw some lines. They're having to take a stand. But it's always been that way because there's always a counterfeit. We'll see more on that here in a few minutes. Um, but isn't it interesting how the same issue that he was dealing with back then, we're dealing with now? Um, these religious sodomites were part of the Baal worship. Uh, uh, this, this was predominant, you see, in the north. And it was starting to affect the South. And then uh, uh, Jehoshaphat took it on as his dad took it on, and they started expelling it. Some of you guys have heard me do this, but let me give you a quick shot on, on, uh, on Baal worship. The thing about Baal worship is that Baal worshipers had three characteristics about them. Number one, number one, uh, they were pro-choice. Pro-choice as opposed to pro-life. Uh, Baal worship, one of the things about Baal worship is that to show your allegiance to Baal. And who was Baal? Baal was a false god. Whenever you study Baal worship, uh, a number of years ago I went to a Dallas seminary and I, I just got myself back in the library and in the stacks and I just started reading about Baal worship. 
started reading these doctoral dissertations. I'll tell you, it make you sick to read about this stuff. Um, one of the things they did in their worship was that uh, they would sacrifice children up to the age of four and five, and the way they would sacrifice them. You know, at least the Aztecs and the Incas, you know, they used to sacrifice kids. But at least they'd give them something to drink and drug them. And then they'd put them on an altar, and then they'd plunge a knife into their chest, and then the priest would pull out their beating heart. Did you know that? See, when people talk, and I can't remember if I've said this in the last few weeks or not, because I, I can't keep up what I say and where I say it. But recently I was talking about multiculturalism, and that's a big thing in our culture. But multiculturalism is a bad thing. You've got to understand me here. Uh, when I say multiculturalism, uh, I'm not talking about being prejudiced because of somebody's skin color. I'm talking about their culture. You see? And basically what's happened in America in our universities, we've got, in our public schools, we're big, real big on multiculturalism. You know what multiculturalism means? Is that our culture is no better than anybody else's culture. Our culture, our nation, when you study the culture of our nation with all of its flaws, uh, our nation was not a Muslim nation. Our nation was a Christian nation. So right from the get-go, you, you you know, we're putting the Constitution together, and we got guys are running slaves into the South. Well, you had some guys in the North that said that's wrong, but unfortunately, some of those guys who said it was wrong, they had slaves. You see? So it took some guys who had the guts to say, I'm not going to buy into slavery and the economic benefit that it can get in my life because it's morally wrong. And they got together, and they stood up against it, and they fought it. Why? Because they believed biblically slavery was wrong. You say, yeah, but slavery is in the scripture. Yeah, but slavery in the Bible is different than what we had in Mississippi. You see what I'm saying? So, so the reason, so why did people come from all over the world, other than slaves who were forced here, but why did people come from all over the world to come to this nation? Because uh, there was opportunity, once again, unless you were a slave, there, there was justice, you could get a new start, you could homestead some land, you could, uh, you know, you didn't live under a king, you had a vote. Well, where did all that come from? That came from the Bible. You see? So what we're saying now is, well, our culture was no better than any other culture. And Columbus, Columbus should not have tried to convert those Indians. Why? Because their culture was just as good as Columbus's culture. No, it wasn't. Because their culture, they would die in their sins. Columbus knew Christ and would preach the gospel, and that's how people come to be saved and have eternal life. So the Incas and the Aztecs, they said, oh, their culture is just as good as Christianity. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know, in India, when a man would die and they'd burn his body on a raft, they'd take his living wife and put her on it, and she would be burned alive in India. That's multiculturalism. You guys getting this? Taking notes? Our midterms next week. Okay? Uh, see, different cultures believe different things, and what you believe is absolutely critical. Um, the thing about where we are right now is, it's amazing to me when you look at Baal worship, Baal worship was pro-choice. You could choose, you could choose to sacrifice your firstborn son in the fire to this god Baal. That's horrific. Horrific. I'll give you a second thing about Baal worship. They were pro-environment. Pro-environment. They believed that Baal controlled the agricultural cycles. They believe that he controlled the rainfall. They believe that he controlled the seasons. Uh, we're going to see this couple here in a minute.
that were in the north. Because this guy, Jehoshaphat, is going to jump. And he's going to get himself in trouble. Because he's going to get hooked up with the king of the north, who was a Baal worshiper. Uh, and when Elijah went to confront Ahab and Jezebel, the first thing he said was, it's not going to rain until Yahweh says it's going to rain, because he wanted them to know that Yahweh controlled the environment and Baal didn't. See, environmentalism is a spiritual issue. Do you guys know that? Neo-paganism, that's right. Now, hey, you know, we don't want anybody littering, and we want clean rivers so you can go fish and all that stuff. But we've taken it so far, we've gone crazy on environmentalism. Why? Because it's a spiritual issue. Here's the third trait of, um, of Baal worship. Um, they're pro-environment, they're pro-life, and they're pro-gay rights. What did I say? Pro-life? Thank you. They're pro-choice. They're pro-choice instead of pro-life. They're pro-environmentalists, and they're pro-gay rights. Because in Baal worship, when they would have their religious ceremonies, they were all sexual in nature. It was a very perverse religion. And they would act out these skits about Baal. And Baal's stories were all, like Baal um, castrated his own father. Uh, Baal committed incest with his sisters. And, and that's about all we can mention. It was unbelievably wretched, wicked stuff. And they not would just tell the stories, but they would act them out. So you had male prostitutes, female prostitutes, and sodomite prostitutes, and they were part of the worship. And that's why God said, I don't want you following after those other gods. Isn't that amazing? Oh, and if you stood up and thought that those dramatic skits were wrong and wicked, you were accused of being intolerant. G.K. Chesterton said, tolerance is the virtue of people who don't believe in anything. Now, does any of this stuff sound familiar? Sure it does. Because, see, we're dealing with the same exact stuff. Uh, to Jehoshaphat's credit, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he stood up like these guys that I'm reading the article about in the Episcopalian Church are standing up and saying, we're going to follow the God of the Bible. And these guys are going to get some heat. Now, there's a point in Jehoshaphat's life where he was doing well. And because he was doing right, what was happening is that God was honoring him. So look, if you would, at uh, back, we're in 2 Chronicles 17, verse uh, 12. It says, so Jehoshaphat grew greater and greater. As this guy continued to do what was right, God continued to bless him, and God continued to honor this man. Um, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. Now, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. Why? Because he had done what was right in the sight of the Lord. God prospered him. But here's where something got real interesting at this point in his life. Um, this guy consistently had been doing what was right, just as David had done what was right in his early years. But in 18.1, what happens is, is that Jehoshaphat jumps. Jumping Jehoshaphat. What does he jump from? He jumps from doing what's right, and he begins to do what's wrong. This is a period in his life where he loses his wisdom, and he loses his common sense, and he begins to make bad choices. And he's done all these things right. So you say, well, what happened to this guy? Uh, isn't it interesting that that's what happened to David? You see? 
there was a point in David's life, he'd been doing what was right, honoring God, and then, and then he made a bad move. Uh, one writer has said this, Thomas Brooks said, Assurance made David divinely fearless and eventually divinely careless. You know what happened to David? That night he was up on that roof, he got careless. You know what happened to Jehoshaphat? He got careless. Uh, both these men, men who had hearts for God, men who were walking with God, men whose lives were honoring God, uh, they were doing well, and then something happened. What happened to them? They got careless. They got careless in their life. They got careless in their spiritual walk. They got careless uh, in their hearts. And when Jehoshaphat got careless, he jumped uh, the wrong way. Uh, now, now, what happened to this guy? Um, why did he jump? Well, there was something that he really, really wanted. And you know what this guy wanted? Um, he wanted peace. He wanted peace. P-E-A-C-E. -E. Uh, I think this guy, th this guy was tired of conflict. This guy was tired of fighting battles. This guy was tired of uh, people taking pot shots at him and people criticizing him, and he wanted some peace. So he begins to make a series uh, of wrong moves because he got careless. And it all starts in 18.1. Samuel Rutherford made a great statement, and the statement that he made was this. The devil's war is better than the devil's peace. What does he mean by that? You know what I think he means by um, when you're under spiritual attack, uh, that's a safe place because you know your tail's on the line and you're feeling the heat and you're getting the criticism. It, it, it might be dissension. It might be people at work that are putting you down because of your beliefs. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. But when there's spiritual warfare and you know you're at war and you know the enemy's after you, um, you just know. Now, now, here's the deal. When, when you're in spiritual war, you know what tends to happen? When you're in spiritual war, you're alert. However, when you're at spiritual ease, you get careless. That's what happens to you. That's what happens to me. See, when you know you're in the battle, when you're in the thick of things, and, and, and you've got issues in your life, and you're under attack, and there's, there's difficulty, and there's hardship in your life, man, you're staying alert. I mean, because you're getting it from all sides. A friend of mine, Gary Rosberg, his dad used to fly the bombing runs into Germany in World War II. And the thing that he said to Gary, he said, son, he said, you know, the way we always knew, we always knew when we were in target when the shells started bursting around us. See, see when, the, when, when the shells started exploding, they knew they were on target. If they were off course 100 miles, nobody's going to be shooting at it. But when you're on target, you're going to get shot at. Same thing in the Christian life. What happened was, this guy had ease. Now, now, now let's, let's back up. He grew greater and greater. He was unbelievably wealthy. He was unbelievably prosperous. Things were going his way. And you know what happened to him? He got careless. <clears throat> Sometimes we get a little frustrated with the Lord because we don't understand why things haven't gone better financially for us, why we're struggling, or we've lost something financially, or we thought at this point in our life we'd be here financially and able to retire 
but gosh, everything got messed up with the stock market and all this. And instead of retiring, you're now working harder than you ever worked. And, and, and your whole financial plan has just been shot. And you see, we kind of get upset. We get frustrated with God. You know what? God may be doing you a favor. Because you see where you are right now, you're real alert. And if you had all that stuff and you had that position you would hope to have, you know what? You'd be at ease and you might get careless and you might get yourself in trouble spiritually. It happens to guys all the time. God could be doing you a favor by his withholding something from you at this point in your life. This guy started making a series of wrong moves. I want to show them to you. Uh, and I think the reason he started making them, because he wanted peace. Everybody has something different that they want. You know, and, and, and the enemy will approach you with different things. Um, Eve wanted the fruit. Uh, Judas wanted the money. Uh, David wanted the woman. See, we all tend to want different things. And you know the thing about the enemy? He'll come along and he'll make a way where we think we can get what we want. And, and, and then what happens is we're really, really sad that we got what we thought we wanted. And it ruins our lives. Uh, I want to show you. This guy gave you a series of things that he did right. Let me show you what he started doing wrong. Number one, in 18.1, Jehoshaphat chose the wrong wife. It says he had great riches and honor, and he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. Now, what this means is when I say he chose the wrong wife, he didn't choose the wrong wife for himself. He chose the wrong wife for his son. He, he chose a wife from the king of the north, a guy named Ahab, who had a wife by the name of Jezebel. I'm going to introduce you to them in just a minute. But that was the wrong move. That was the wrong family. And as we've seen, these kings, what they would do they would have these marriages for political reasons. And what would happen is, it just wasn't a boy and a girl getting married, but it was a family and it was a political move to strengthen your hand politically. So it was a political alliance, but this guy chose the wrong woman. And I'm going to tell you, he lived to regret it. Uh, we'll see that next week, because we're not going to finish with this, with this guy tonight. Secondly, Jehoshaphat chose the wrong ally. Who did he choose? Well, he chose uh, Ahab. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel, interesting couple. They were in the north. Ahab was the worst king in the history of Israel. He married Jezebel. Who was Jezebel? Uh, she was a foreigner who worshipped the Baals. Uh, her father's name was Eth Baal. That means with Baal. Uh, they were a fascinating couple. Uh, Ahab was very, very ambitious politically extremely ambitious, would stop at nothing to gain political advantage. But a case could be made that Jezebel was even more politically ambitious than he was. Interesting. Uh, secondly, their marriage. Their marriage, you know, God has said that the husband is, is, to, is to lead the wife and to love the wife and be the spiritual head. But in this marriage, it was convoluted because there was no question who ran this family. Uh, between Ahab and Jezebel. She ran him. Not only did she run him, but she was the one who really ran the nation. That's just the way things worked in Israel back then. Uh, another thing about this couple, they were very, very religious. They loved to be seen at religious events. They loved to be seen with religious people. Uh, that was important to them. They would refer to their religious background and how they were raised. But whenever a biblical issue would come up, they would vehemently oppose those who stood for biblical truth and the God of the Bible. Um, that's what was happening in Israel. 
back then. Now, the thing that eventually brought this couple down was they got involved in a land deal. There was, it's true. If you remember their story, which is outlined in 1 Kings, there was a piece of land next to the palace. And one night she came in, and Ahab is all depressed, and she said, what's wrong? And he said, Naboth has his vineyard, vineyard and he won't sell it to me. And she said, he won't sell it to you. She said, I'll take care of it. And the next thing you know, Naboth winds up dead. And guess who gets the land? Ahab. Suddenly, this guy's dead. For all I know, it was an apparent suicide. <laughs> now, whenever I talk about Ahab and Jezebel, I get letters from people. <laughs> and they're upset with me because they tend to think that I'm talking about, for some reason, they tend to equate this with a contemporary couple in American politics. And what I tell them, and they said, you're talking about them. I said, I'm talking about Ahab and Jezebel. Now, if you're telling me you see parallels, I can't help that. <laughs> but I would say this, if the shoe fits, <laughs> wear it. Isn't that interesting? I find it fascinating. So what is God's blessing Jehoshaphat? So what does he do? He goes and makes a treaty with this guy, the guy in the north. And all of a sudden, he's in big trouble. Why? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Here's a guy that got careless. Um, let's start reading here, okay? You guys go, you guys okay? You go a few minutes? All right. All right. I, I, I got to tell you, I got so much stuff on this guy that on the way here, I decided to cut it into two parts. This guy's got a fascinating life. Uh, so he allies himself with marriage with Ahab. Okay? Look at uh, 2 of 18. And some years later, because he's still hooked up with this guy now. And some years later, he went down to visit Ahab at Samaria. And Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen. You know, they're doing this king thing. And the people who were with him and induced him. In the Hebrew, that word can actually have the idea of seduce. See, when you start messing around with a guy like Ahab, he's your buddy and he's a good old boy and all that. Listen, that sucker's always got an agenda. And he's a guy who uses people. And he was all over Jehoshaphat. And he was going to use this guy for his political advantage. And that's what he did. He induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. Now, what's, we don't know what that is. What's the big deal? That's a city on the east side, about 30 miles east of Jezreel. If you go to Israel, you'll see the area. It was a major trading post, a major trading route going up to Samaria. It was a key, key city, and it had been captured. So he wants Jehoshaphat to go to war so that they can go get this city back. That's what verse Three is about, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And Je Jehoshaphat says, I am as you are, and my people is your people, and I will be with you in the battle. That was a big mistake. But see, he'd already aligned himself. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, now, by the way, who are these 400 prophets? Uh, flip over to 1 Kings 18, 19. There's some discussion about who these prophets are, when you read the different commentators, I think it's pretty clear, quite frankly. If you look at 1 Kings 18, 19, when Elijah confronted, um, what's the guy's name? Ahab and Jezebel. Um, and 
uh, he, he invites them to this confrontation on Mount Carmel. Uh, verse 17 of 1 Kings 18. And it came about when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? That's an amazing comment. See, this guy was so swelled up with pride and ego and self-concern that he thought Elijah was the problem in, 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 in the nation. He was the problem. And Elijah said, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah. Asherah was a Syrian Phoenician uh, cult, female cult, uh, that, that accompanied Baal worship. Now what happens is they go to Mount Carmel and it says that all the prophets of Baal were killed. But it doesn't say all the prophets of the Asherah were killed. And how many of those guys were there? 400. So now we get over here and they're, they're, they get all these guys together and they call these prophets together and they're going to go to Ramoth Gilead and the king of Israel, who's Ahab, gets all his prophets. I think they're the 400 guys from back there. And he says to them, shall we go against these guys in battle or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for God will give it to the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, see the problem with Jehoshaphat is he knew the scriptures. And he knew the one true God. So Jehoshaphat hears this stuff and he says, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of him? He could tell these guys were frauds. He could tell these guys were fakes. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there's one guy by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Isn't that classic? See, they're the ones. Hey, you know what? I'm going to push some buttons here. See, we get all screwed up in our culture when we get away from the scriptures. See, it's the people, quite frankly, it's wrong thinking. We, we, we now have crimes called hate crimes. You don't see hate crimes in the Bible. So if someone is murdered and they're a certain color. Now let me tell you something. If a white guy murders a black guy, is that bad? That's bad. In God's eyes, is that wrong? That's wrong. So back 100 years ago, you get a bunch of white guys, they put hoods on, and they go lynch some black guy who's innocent. Is that, that's wicked, and that's evil in the eyes of God because it's murder. God said, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. He didn't say what color, just period, you don't murder. Now, is it wrong for a black guy to murder a white guy? Absolutely. I see what we've done. Now, is it wrong if, you don't, if you're mad at uh, what's happening with homosexuals? To go kill a guy because he's homosexual? That's wrong. Is it wrong if you're against abortion to go shoot a guy who does abortions? That's wrong because it's murder. You see? But what we've now done is that we have classified certain, if you kill someone who believes a certain thing or if their skin's a certain color, that's a hate crime and there's a more severe punishment. You'll never find that in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't make any sense, does it? So, uh, what over in this East Texas town? The, these uh, remember these guys, these couple guys, they they in Jasper. So they got this black guy and they drag him and kill him. It was horrible. That's a hate crime. But then in Fort Worth a while back, this black gal hits this guy who's a white guy on the side of the road. He gets lodged in her windshield. 
and he's in there a couple days, and he's crying for help, and she won't help him, and he dies. But that's not a hate crime. No, it's just, it, you know what it is? They're all crimes. But see, when we get, what I'm saying to you guys is, that doesn't make any sense. Because sin is sin, and murder is murder. Does that make sense to you? When we get away from the scripture, we go nuts. And we lose our minds, and we lose all our wisdom. Sin is sin, period. Now, this guy, he says, yeah, there's this prophet of the Lord, but I hate him. Why did he hate him? Because he told the truth. And listen, when you're a guy like Ahab, the last thing you want to hear is truth. When you study these kings, every king, there was a prophet. I'm going to tell you something. These guys had some stones. You know what I mean. <laughs> These guys had some guts. Is there not a prophet? Yeah, there's this guy I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. Well, that's because you're evil. <laughs> Why don't you try doing what's right? And the guy may catch you some slack. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Don't criticize this guy. So the king of Israel called an officer. They said, go get this guy. So they go bring Micaiah. And while they're doing that, Zedekiah, this false prophet, puts on horns and gores this guy. He says, you're going to gore the enemy and all this. And they're prophesying, go up and succeed. Verse 11, the Lord will give it to your hand. 12, then the messenger went to summon Micaiah, spoke to him, saying, this is classic. This was, a, uh, this was one of these political operative guys. He said, behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. Yeah. You can't go wrong doing that. They may kill you, but you can't go wrong. You know? And who'd want to live not doing that? Uh, and when he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? He said, go up and succeed, for they will be given into your hand. And then the king, Ahab, says, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but truth in the name of the Lord? Right. See, Micaiah says, Yeah, you go on up there and you'll have success. And Ahab says, Hey, I just want you to tell me the, the word of the Lord. Well, he didn't want the word of the Lord. Micaiah was being sarcastic. Yeah, go do what those other guys are saying. No, tell me the word of the Lord. Now he's going to get the word of the Lord. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd." And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Here's Micaiah. He's not backing off. Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and prevail also. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. That took some guts. So it's one against 400. He says, hey, let me tell you what happened in heaven. This one spirit said, Lord said, who's going to deceive him? I'll deceive him. You say, well, wait a minute. Is that right that God would actually allow someone to be deceived? Turn over to 2 Thessalonians. 
real quick. Second Thessalonians, interesting passage. Talks about what's going to happen in the end times. The Antichrist, Second uh, Thessalonians 2, uh, let no one, uh, I'm in verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, what well, will not come, the coming of our Lord, unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, that is the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction. Uh, verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Um, then it talks about the lawless one in verse 8, the Antichrist at 9, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all powers and signs and false wonders. There's going to be... Uh, the Antichrist, and he's going to have a false prophet, and they're going to be able to do powerful signs and miracles. Now, stay with me here, guys. Look at verse 10. With all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Now, why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. That's frightening. You know what that's saying? That's saying if you refuse and refuse and refuse and refuse to acknowledge the truth of God. That's what Pharaoh did. God showed him his power. All the plagues. He refused to submit to the truth. So eventually, in Romans 1, 18, it says God gives them over. God, so you love being deceived? Great, God will deceive you further. Absolutely. It's Romans 1, 18, all the way down to the end of the chapter. Sure. That's a hardening process that God allows to happen because they want it. They don't want to know the truth. Ahab didn't want to know the truth. But Micaiah stood up for the truth. You guys still there? Okay. Um, so then 23, this Zedekiah guy, this false teacher, he comes over and strikes Micaiah. That was a huge insult, huge humiliation. And says, how did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to you? Micaiah says, behold, you shall see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. In other words, you remember this, pal. There's going to be a day when you're running for your life. Then the king of Israel said, take Micaiah, return him to Amon the governor and to Joash the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this man in prison, feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Now, here's Micaiah again. What a stud. He says, hey, Ahab. If you return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, listen, all you people. Literally, what he said was, mark it down. If this guy comes back, I've not spoken by the word of the Lord. So what do they do? They go off in the battle. Now, did Jehoshaphat hear all this? Did he obey it? No. Because he'd made an alliance. You ever have an event in your life where you know you shouldn't do it, but the pressure is so great because everyone else is going? Wasn't, that way in, wasn't it that way in high school? But see, now you're 37 years old. Or you're 53 years old. Or you're 69 years old. See, there's a point, guys, where it's time to stand up and be a man of God. That's what you do. Years ago, I, had a, uh, I was talking to a guy, probably 30, 31, and he'd just gotten a new job. And he's with his boss on a trip to Atlanta. And they're seeing clients. They spend half a day with this one client. And, you know, this guy's a big client, big deal, a lot of bucks. And uh, they're finished. And he said, hey, I want to take you guys to my favorite restaurant. It's been great having you here. Just freaks on me. They get in the car. They pull up to this high-class gentleman's club. Strip joint. And, you know, these guys, this guy's a young guy, two older guys. It's his boss. It's a new job. And they start getting out of the car. And they're talking. And uh, he says, uh, hey, you know, guys, I think uh, this guy's a Christian. 
commit with his wife. Uh, he says, you know, guys, I think I'm just going to get a cab and go back. Go back to the hotel. I'll just see you back. And his boss says, oh, no, no, no. No, I don't want you. I, we really need to talk. And we need to wrap up some things. I, I, I need you to be here. And they keep walking. And he's taking some steps with him. And he, and he walks a few more steps. He, goes, he says, you know what? Um, I'm just going to pass. You guys can work it out. And his boss stops and he says, you know what? It's really important to me that you be here. Been on the job a couple weeks. I need you here. You need to find out about this stuff. Now, what would you do? You know what this guy did? He said, I want to do the best job that I can, and I'm willing to put in extra hours. But if I walk in there, I'm going to violate the covenant that I made with my wife. And I can't walk in there. If you guys want to go eat somewhere else, I'll be happy to do that. But I can't walk in there. And if you're asking me to walk in there, I'm getting a cab and going back to the hotel. See, a lot of guys wouldn't do that because they'd say, well, I might get fired. Well, let them fire you. And I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus will get you a job because you're one of his guys. Did that guy get fired? No. But he took the, he might have gotten fired. But see, he was willing to take a stand and do what was right. Uh, Jehoshaphat had done that. Now he stops. So this gets really wild. We're almost to the end. We're going to stop and we'll pick it up next week. So the king, of the, now they're going into battle. The king of Israel, that's Ahab, says to Jehoshaphat, hey, I'll disguise myself and go into battle, and you put on, and you put on your robes. Now, I'm not quite sure what that's all about, but, but knowing this guy's character, you know, I mean, I'm thinking he's trying to set this guy up, and Jehoshaphat says, okay, great. You know, I'll put on my crown and my, you know, my king T-shirt and, you know, and my white horses. Wasn't real smart here. You know, you, hey, you mess around with bad company, and you're going to get conned, you know? I mean, what, what was Ahab's heart? Ahab looked out for nobody except him. So he sets this guy up. Now, the king of the Aram, that's who they're going to fight, had commanded the captain of his chariot, saying, Do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. He wanted Ahab. So it came about when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It's the king of Israel. And he had his king t-shirt on. I mean, they figured it out. And they turned aside to fight against him. But Jehoshaphat cried out. And the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. And a certain man, this is classic. And a certain man drew his bow at random. And struck the king of Israel, that's Ahab, in a joint of armor. So he said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. And the battle raged that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot in front of the Arameans until the evening, and at sunset he died. Uh, Jehoshaphat got involved with the wrong family. He made a wrong alliance, and he got involved in the wrong battle. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, when we are out of the will of God and get into places of danger, we tempt God, and it is a sin to tempt God and to force him to work miracles on our behalf. Isn't that what Satan tried to do with Jesus? He tried to tempt him. You see? He'll try to, see guys, you stay in the will of God. You stay with godly men. Now, I know you work with unbelievers, and you want to reach out to them and all that, but see, 
Let's wrap this up by going to Psalm 1 because Psalm 1 sums up why Jehoshaphat jumped. Psalm 1 is classic. It's classic, and it tells us the two options. And, and, and we see it lived out in this guy's life. How blessed is the man, or literally, how happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. That's what Jehoshaphat did when he tied up with Ahab. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. When we were in England a few months ago, we were in Bibberry, England. This, you guys ever see these Thomas Contade paintings with the stone houses and a little brook going by? You know? That's this town. I mean, it makes Thomas Kincaid look like a double-wide mobile home. It's unbelievable. And we're standing, we're looking, it's a gorgeous day, and here's this clear stream with these trout in the, I mean, and here's this stone, beautiful home and the flowers, and, and here's this giant English oak right next to this stream. This sucker had to be 300 years old. I couldn't put my arms around Massive tree, and I thought of Psalm 1. He'll be like a tree firmly I'm telling you, that tree wasn't going anywhere. It was firmly planted by streams of living water. That's where Jehoshaphat was before he got careless. How do we get careless? Let's wrap it up. We can get careless with our mind. We can get careless with our thoughts. Can't we? You know what I'm talking about. There are good thoughts. There are wrong thoughts. Paul, in talking about false philosophies, said we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When I get careless in my thought life, I start allowing thoughts to come in that I shouldn't be allowing to come in. I start fantasizing when I get careless. You guys following me? So I, got, I can't be careless in my mind. Uh, here's another one. I can't be careless with my eyes. With my eyes. What did Job say? Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not gauge upon a virgin in lust. That's a battle every day, isn't it? And have you guys noticed as you get older, it doesn't go away? I've had guys say to me, oh, man, I can't wait till I get married because then I'm not going to deal with lust. I said, yeah. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll deal with lust. You'll deal with lust for as long as you live. And lust begins with the eyes. And then it takes root in the mind. You see? So see what happens? See, see I got to get rigid with my eyes. I got to get ruthless. I got to get disciplined with my eyes. Because when I get careless, I get in trouble. You see? Hey, hey, you know what? I don't want to have happen to me what happened to this guy. This, hey, this guy loved God, didn't he? But he got careless. So see, you can get careless with your mind. You get careless with your eyes. You get careless with your lips. 
your speech, what you say. Uh, you get critical. You get critical of, you know, something you don't like in the church or critical of this. Or instead of talking to the person or dealing with it or, you know, is that bad? Leave. You know? Don't get divisive. Don't run off at the mouth. You can do a lot of damage with your tongue, man. You can do that in your family. You can cut people to shreds in your family. You get careless with your mouth. You get careless with your hands. You get in trouble when you don't have control of your hands. Uh, you can get in trouble when you're careless with your feet. The Bible says flee immorality. What did that young guy do on that business trip in Atlanta? Walking into the strip bar, what did he do with his feet? He fled immorality. He didn't get careless with his feet. Jehoshaphat wasn't a bad guy. You know what God did? He was in a bad situation. He never should have been in it. You know what he did? He called out to God. God saved his life. He got careless. And you know what he did? He went home. That's what we need. Some carelessness gotten into your life a little bit. You've got to call out to God and go home. And uh, we'll see the next chapter when we come back next week. We bow before you, Father. There's a real enemy out there. Uh, uh, he couldn't tempt Jehoshaphat with money because the guy had all the money. But he sure tempted him with peace, and then he made a wrong alliance, and he got himself in big, big trouble. Lord, uh, I pray for every guy in this room that we might ask ourselves where we are the most vulnerable. What is the thing which is most attractive to us? What, what, what is this thing that uh, we are most attracted to? Uh, Father, we thank you so much for the biography of this guy. We, we thank you, Lord. He, he was a real guy. He put his pants on just like we do. Uh, he, he, he was a guy that had a love for you. This man did some great things. And as we'll see next week, Lord, he got himself back on track with you. He repented of what he had done. And then he began to do what was right again. Uh, Lord, I, I would pray for each of us because we're no different. Sometimes we get careless. Sometimes, Lord, we get sloppy in our in our in our hearts and in our minds, and we get, we get in trouble. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would, uh, by your spirit, that you would speak to each guy's heart here. Uh, if there's an area where we're getting careless, if there's an area where I'm getting careless, Lord, show it to me. Show it to me. Help me to get right back on the path of righteousness. Help me, Lord, not to screw around with sin, not to touch it with a 10-foot Help me, Lord, to follow you with my whole heart. I pray for that for me, for every guy in this room. We want to be men of God. We want your favor. We want you to be with us. We don't want you to have to be disciplining us. We want to surrender. Not most. We want to surrender all. In Jesus' name we pray.